we do the best we can and we will do the best we can to get all the mail aligning to the families around the world. If you mess with a letter carrier, you're going to go to jail. That's a federal employee. We've got to make that a reality. We've definitely never seen a Palestine Solidarity action this large in the state of Wisconsin ever. I think there was thousands of people out in the streets of Madison. I grew up in a household where my father was a young man during the time that Ramal Abdel Nasser was the president of Egypt. And there was this idea in our household that we have to build pan-Arabism. You know, law enforcement does tend to lean more conservative. Uh, however, you know, as times will and do change, the work, the workers change, attitudes change. You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, produced by the Labor Radio Podcast Network, laborradionetwork.org. I'm Chris Garlock. On today's show, postal workers deliver during the holidays and letter carriers speak out. Labor joins a Palestine solidarity rally in Madison, Wisconsin, and educators push for a ceasefire in Gaza. And in our final segment, what it's like to be a progressive in charge of a traditionally conservative union for prison guards. This week's featured shows are communicating with you, the member, the podcast from the APWU, the American Postal Workers Union, you are the current resident from the National Association of Letter Carriers. Labor Radio, a weekly show on WORT in Madison, Wisconsin. Labor Radio on KBU FM, radio of the working class, by the working class, and for the working class from Portland, Oregon. And the Heartland Labor Forum, which airs weekly on KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. Again, APW family, this is Mark Dimitstein, APW National President. Good to be joining you again for a new podcast. So let me get back to peak season. We shine through all year long, but we particularly shine through as postal workers during the holiday season. We know it's harder in our families, but we actually are dedicated to the mission and, and we are very proud of the joy we bring so many families during this time of the year. And we asked some of our good members out there to share some of their feelings and thoughts uh, during this time. So let's hear from a few of your co-workers and uh, APW family out there. Hello, this is Lisa Hernandez, proud APW member in Modesto Local 65. What I think of during the peak season is the sacrifice and dedication that our brothers and sisters take on a daily basis to make sure that the mail is delivered from medications to gifts and everything else in between. We want to make sure the mail is delivered. What I would like to let the public know during this time is that we, the American Postal Workers, stand with you. We are your brothers and sisters, uncles, aunts, grandmas, grandpas. We want to make sure your packages get there. 
So please be kind, be joyful, be merry, as you now, the American people, become our number one concern during this time. Happy holidays. Hi, this is Stephanie from the Hendersonville Post Office. I just want to say thank you to all the postal workers out there who are working hard this holiday season and giving up time with friends and family to deliver the mail and packages within the postal system. Thank you for all you do. And in Union Solidarity, go APWU. Hello, everybody. This is Juan Cruz at the Post Office in Providence, Rhode Island. And I just want to take a moment to appreciate everything that we do. We are one all together. And before I am a postal employee, I am also a customer. And I am counting on you guys in the post office to process the mail quickly on this holiday season so I can bring a smile to more than one or two faces of people that I love. Thank you for the great job and keep up the good work. Thank you. To all the American families, my name is Efrain Casares, and I am an employee at the post office in Santa Barbara, a member of the American Postal Working Union, Santa Barbara Area 264. Um, just to share with you that we are so excited to get to this point of the season, serving our American families in the country yeah. and around the world. Um, I'll say um, a clear that I, the, the work I do and only with my brothers and sisters. We do the best we can, and we will do the best we can to get all the mail arriving to the families um, around the world with happiness and hoping everybody has a great holidays. My name is Sophia Allen. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. I am an APWU member as a neighbor custodian. Moving the mail during peak season to me means a collaboration of teamwork. Everyone works diligently and proficiently to move mail pieces and parcels to homes daily. From early morning to late night hours, USPS employees are a light to the world. Keep on shining bright in whatever capacity you serve. Happy holiday and much love. Great spirit. No, I know that, that those folks who weighed in really reflect what the tens of thousands of you are uh, feeling and doing during this peak holiday work and sometimes we have to serve the people of the country despite management despite their disruption to the mail despite the delays in the mail and we're still here shining through for the people of the country with the union pride that we have and the pride of the mission of the public postal service Brothers, sisters, and friends, and welcome to You Are the Current Resident Podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. I'm Ed Morgan. We're on Zoom again, and with us, as always, is our national president, Brian Renfro. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, Eddie, I'm doing great today. Uh, Brian is going to speak and give a sort of a State of the Union address here today. So I guess we were going to talk about our Enough is Enough program. Yeah, I know we've talked about this quite a bit uh, on the on the podcast in the past, but I do think it'd be a good idea for me to just kind of summarize what the problem is and, and what we're doing to to address that problem. We have seen over the last 
nice three plus years, a dramatic increase in the number of incidents of violent crime against letter carriers. Since 2020, over 2,000 violent crimes, mostly robberies and assaults, have been committed against letter carriers. There are a lot of reasons for this. In many ways, during the pandemic, I guess criminals had to get a little more creative and, you know, we saw a an increase in crimes with the mail in general, which, you know, would naturally translate into to crimes against postal employees and, and our members, where a lot of them have developed pretty elaborate check washing schemes and, you know, they're able to fraudulently reproduce checks and, and things like that if they get their hands on them. So this is not true of all the crimes, but the vast majority of them are to gain access to the mail, either by stealing the mail directly, stealing our keys, things like that. So let me just go through the the key pieces that we see as elements to the ultimate solution uh, to reverse this trend and, and give our members the opportunity to work more safely. I mentioned criminals stealing, trying to gain access to the mail. That most often is done through our keys and um, Postal Service is in the midst, or the early stages, I guess, of replacing our current Airlock key system with technology. There's a lot of different possibilities, but they've done multiple tests that we've been involved in, testing different types of technology, key fobs, things like that, that are more secure. They devalue the key so that if someone got their hands on it, it would not you know, allow them to access as much as maybe they can currently access. Postal Service is publicly committed to a pretty sizable replacement. Uh, I can tell you they're going to replace them all. And there's a legislative component to this that I'll get into here at the end. So this is not something that's going to solve the problem on its own, but it is a piece of the solution. The next one, and perhaps the most important one, at least in my personal opinion, is we have to increase the prosecution rates. When these crimes happen, they are federal crimes, the United States Attorney's offices should be prosecuting every single one of them to the fullest extent of the law. That's not happening. We have, however, seen some improvement. We've seen there's 93 United States attorney's offices around the country. Um, one place that, or one, I guess, cause of some of the improvement is that the Postal Service themselves have invested in funding a dozen or so prosecutors that spend the vast majority of their time prosecuting these cases. So we commend them for that. And, uh, you know, I have discussed this with them at length and, of course, expressed our appreciation. And, and that's made some difference, but you know we've still got a long way to go. In the end, what we have to achieve here is making a reality, the mindset that our listeners that have been letter carriers for some time will remember existed around the country for the longest time. And that mindset was, if you mess with a letter carrier, you're going to go to jail. That's a federal employee. We've got to make that a reality. And uh, I really believe that through all the efforts that we're currently engaged in on the Capitol Hill, certainly with the Postal Service and with the Inspection Service and public awareness and the media, and that we've got a real opportunity here to make a difference. May your steward be by your side and may your union have your back. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. Labor was part of a march in Madison in support of Palestine and took action this week at UW. Greg Jaboski has more. As of today, the number of deaths in Gaza are approaching or have surpassed 20,000 as the United States-supported Israeli military assault continues, now having expanded to Rafah on the southern border of the Gaza Strip, an area where Israel had previously ordered civilians to move in a purported call for safety. Last Saturday afternoon, December 9th, a statewide rally and march in support of Palestinians was held in Madison. The crowd, which packed an entire block around Capitol Square as the march began from the State Street corner, included union members and healthcare workers who held some of the most prominent banners. Here's Rory Donovan, a UPS worker and member of the Teamsters Local 344, speaking Saturday in front of the East Washington Street offices of the powerful Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce Business Lobby. When workers in Wisconsin fought back against attacks on our union rights, it was the same business lobby groups that were targeting us. The same billionaire interests that prop up racist Israeli settler regime are the ones who want to strip our right to organize in the workplace and community here in Wisconsin. As a UPS teamster, our union took on one of the biggest corporations and won a historic contract this summer. So I know that when we fight, we win. Labor Radio spoke today to Jacob Flom, a delegate to the Milwaukee Area Federation of Labor and president of AFSCME Local 526, which represents workers in the Milwaukee Public Museum, who described the feelings of organizers and participants to the march this week. People felt like this was a historic march because of the turnout, because of the labor participation. We've definitely never seen uh, Palestine solidarity action this large in the state of Wisconsin ever. I think there was thousands of people out in the streets of Madison around the Capitol. And organized labor was excited. The labor contingent with Wisconsin Labor for Palestine was really excited about the turnout of trade unionists. We had a contingent of healthcare workers, many of whom were trade unionists. We're very excited that we're bringing that new level of organization within the workers' movement and connecting that with international solidarity with Palestine. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! You're listening to KBU 90.7 FM. To you, the nine to fiver, just making your way home. To you, the all night driver, out in your cab alone. To you, waiting for lunch break as the minutes drag so slow. Take courage, turn the volume up, it's Labor Radio. Good evening and welcome to Labor Radio. Of the working class, by the working class, for the working class. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel, here with co-host Rachel Haynes. Hey, Rachel. Hello. Joining us today 
we have Mary Najimi. Hello from Boston, Great. Massachusetts. <laughs> Hi, Mary. Thanks so much. Uh, when did you all get involved in the fight for Palestinian human rights and what motivated you to take that first step? So this did not start October 7th and Hamas is not the first perpetrator. I And the reason why I start with that is because that's my history. That's my story. I grew up in a household where my father was a young man during the time that Ramal Abdel Nasser was the president of Egypt. And there was this idea in our household that we have to build pan-Arabism. Um, and so the discourse in the 70s and 80s that was part of our family and part of my culture. Now I'm Lebanese, not Palestinian, but I've always been in solidarity with the Palestinians because it's what I grew up with. The discourse was was self-determination, autonomy, liberation. And it was also a moment in the world where the world was on fire with liberation struggles. And there was international solidarity across Africa and the Middle East and Latin America. Um, I didn't become active on the issue of Palestine until the 80s, actually until the 90s, because back then in the 80s when I was in college, there was no Students for Justice in Palestine. I only became active after I had a chance to reconnect with an elder in our uh, Arab community who started some important civil rights institutions Arab American institutions in the United States. And so it was around the 90s, late 90s, as Oslo was coming to a head. The call for a long-term ceasefire has been a rallying cry for millions of people. Why do you feel unions uh, should play a role in calling for this? Rachel, it's interesting. Unions have actually, until... October 7th, historically taken aside with Israel. Uh, so it's a tremendous sea change that unions are siding with the liberation of Palestine. I think, you know, we hear members say we shouldn't get involved. It's an international issue. We don't, it's a political issue without really actually thinking that union work is fundamentally political. Fighting for the rights of workers is an is a political act. You know, for us, we're union educators in the field of education. Fighting for school funding is political. Fighting for, you know, uh, uh, get to get rid of disparate treatment of our black and brown students in schools. It's inherently political. So unions always get involved in politics. I also feel like we can't say it's an international issue. This is an issue that is streaming into our lives every day. Our students are making it their issue and they're walking out on the streets. Our educators who are union educators are having their academic freedom suppressed. Those are union issues, protecting our, our educators, protecting our students. So those are examples of reasons. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, war is really bad for all workers around the world. Um, I actually found out recently that the Massachusetts Teachers Association uh, took a stand against apartheid in South Africa and came across a letter from Nelson Mandela that he wrote to the MTA 
telling us how important a position it was that we took. This is Rachel Haynes. You've been listening to Labor Radio. Tune in next Monday and every Monday at 6 p.m. to catch another Labor Radio show. Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. I'm Mark Galis. While most labor organizations in this country have a progressive bent, law enforcement unions, which represent police officers, prison guards, and other public safety officers, are generally viewed as more conservative. But what happens when a traditionally conservative union has progressive leadership? Joining us is Lynn Fields, president of the American Federation of State County and Municipal Employees, or AFSCME, Local 3654. Lynn, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mark. We are AFSCME, Local 3654, and Southwestern Illinois Correctional Facility is in East St. Louis, Illinois. We, uh, we, we, we represent correctional officers and the support staff at the facility. There is a bit of a paradox when it comes to the labor movement has historically been very progressive, and law enforcement unions representing either police or correctional officers or parole officers, whatever that might be, law enforcement unions are generally viewed as more conservative. So how have you seen that play out with respect to your union? So, you know, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm treading lightly here, you know, because these are still my brother's and sisters, right? Uh, but it's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's something that you know you just say the quiet part out loud. You know, law enforcement does tend to lean more conservative. Uh, however, you know, as times will and do change, the work the workers change, attitudes change. You know, so we, you know, our local and our union, we have to be ready to to confront that head on. We have to be able to compromise. We have to be able to find that happy medium. And I will say that AFSCME does a really good job in trying to kind of bring everybody in. No, we don't always get along. As a matter of fact, when we endorse certain political candidates, you know, it's always gonna be a fight. But because this is a democratic union, you know, we take votes on who we endorse. There is a process in how we choose who we endorse. So. I mean, it's just one of those things where you're going to be a part of it or you're not. I mean, it can be very hard because, you know, in Illinois, we have Chicago and the rest of Illinois. But, you know, because it's a numbers game, you know, and it's all about organizing. So and, and that's what we do. You know, we're going to choose who's going to be best for our workers. We don't choose based on, you know, what these guys are doing. You know, we we choose because it's, you know, who is for workers' rights? 
that that's who we want in office because our contracts are contingent on who's in office. And whether you're progressive, whether you're conservative, everybody understands the hard line, which is dollars. And if you're going to vote for a guy who's here to bust up a union or a guy who's, you know, there to break the pension program, no one, I don't care who, you know, you vote for, you know, nationally, but here statewide, you're going to vote for your pocketbook each and every time. So, and, and that's what we count on. So does, how does that affect your leadership as president? I mean, you sounds like you have to really walk a fine line uh, in dealing with that. Is that fair? It's fair, you know, um, because all of us have our feelings, you know, about, and, and it's not just about money, you know, I mean, we have to think about like where these guys stand as far as, you know, uh, reproductive rights, you know, LGBTQ rights, you know, so we, we, we take that into consideration, but you have to bring it back around. Sometimes you have to remind people like what is important, what's important, you know, not like who's sleeping with who, what books this guy is reading, what church this guy attends, because fundamentally we all want the same thing, which is to take care of our families. Have been listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss. Tune in every Thursday evening at six, or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at five, right here, ninety point one FM. We still got our because we are the working class, and that's the place to be. Said if I were Frank Sinatra, I'd pull strings And through political pull, you'd be on top of the glorified garbage pile With all of their plastic smiles I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1919. That was the day that Red Scare deportations began. 249 radicals, including anarcho-feminist Emma Goldman, were packed onto the USS Buford and deported to Russia. The year of 1919 had seen massive social convulsions. The Seattle general strike had kicked off the year. It was followed by coal strikes and steel strikes, bombings and race riots. There were increasing fears of communist ideas and influences in the wake of the Bolshevik Revolution. These events touched off a draconian response by the U.S. federal government. Together with the young J. Edgar Hoover, Attorney General A. Mitchell Palmer conducted mass raids and arrests of more than a thousand suspected working-class radicals. The Department of Labor agreed that proclaimed membership in the Union of Russian Workers was a deportable offense. The ship set sail and docked in Finland, where trains transported the deportees into the Soviet Union. The vast majority of those deported had no criminal records and had never participated in any acts of terrorism. They were expelled for speaking out about their political opinions. According to Regan Schmidt, author of Red Scare, FBI, and the Origins of Anti-Communism in the United States, employers' associations fueled the anti-radical climate. They were engaged in an intense open-shop counterattack against post-war organizations 
organizing campaigns and strike activity. The main goal was to discredit unions as subversive, Bolshevistic, and alien to basic American values. Donning the name The American Plan, closed shops were referred to as Sovietism in disguise, and propaganda campaigns were waged to ensure blacklists, internal union dissension, yellow dog contracts, and strike breaking. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. As usual, just a small sample of the amazing programs aired over the last week or so on more than 200 Labor Radio and Podcast shows. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the network shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them. Use the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, X, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to call it. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show. Our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock urging you to Stay active and, of course, stay tuned to your local labor radio podcast show. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next week.